0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Wealth Conversation Podcast with me, Titi. I guide high-achieving women on their journey to build lasting wealth so they can prepare for an abundant future in every area of their life. I hope that today's episode will help you to transform your relationship with money so you can make the choices that will enable you to create the opportunities and lasting wealth that you desire. Let's get straight into this week's episode. For this episode, I have invited Charlie Goodman to share some of his insights on how money mindset impacts our financial well-being and workplace savings decisions. Charlie is a partner at the Employee Benefits Collective and specializes in financial well being and pensions in the workplace. He is a qualified independent financial advisor, certified financial coach, and reward specialist. Charlie also leads the Initiative for Financial Well Being's Workplace Well Being offering. Welcome, Charlie, to the Wealth Conversation Podcast.
1: Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Oh, I think I'm more excited to have you here because there's so much that I wish I knew about employee benefits and, you know, workplace savings. And uh, I'm sure you're going to tell us all about that wonderful stuff. But before we get into that, please, could you share a bit more about yourself and your background?
1: Uh, Okay. Uh, So uh, my name is Charlie Goodman. Uh, I'm a qualified financial advisor uh, international employee benefits specialist, uh, rewards specialist, and uh, money mindset coach. Uh, I live in Bromley with my wife, Lizzie, uh, and our two dogs, Millie and Peggy. I've spent the last two years running my own employee benefits business, Savello uh, for Business, uh, and I've just become a partner at the Employee Benefits Collective. Uh, my focus there as, as a partner is on pensions, financial wellbeing, and smaller businesses. Uh, in my spare time, I'm Director for Workplace Wellbeing at the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing.
0: Do you get any time to sleep?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure that's a full list of my voluntary
0: activities. This oh Charlie. <laughs> and I thought I knew you. <laughs> that's amazing. That's, you know, a, a lot of stuff, you know, and it's all of it is just helping and supporting people, right? So, which is which is fantastic. I love that. So what actually motivated you to focus on, it sounds like, the full spectrum of employee benefits and employee well-being?
1: Right. So I I think probably experience initially. Um, I I started my financial services career as an advisor, probably in inverted commas, uh, for the the cooperative, as a tied sales advisor for them, um, selling their investment and insurance products, which I really didn't enjoy. Um, And after a brief spell of of working for them and then working for the Financial Ombudsman Service, uh, investigating complaints about people like me, I sort of fell on my feet um, and uh, and got a job training with an independent financial planning firm, or I guess what we would now call an independent financial planning firm, uh, called uh, Barnes & Sherwood. And that, um, that really restored my faith in the ability of our profession to make a difference to people's lives. So as the junior planner, I was given the employees of the corporate clients that we had uh, on our our client list, Um, and I ran limited advice and guidance-based one-to-ones for those employees and helped them understand their workplace pensions and uh, and their employee benefits. Uh, So it was this experience that opened my eyes uh, to the power of getting uh, the simple financial messages and education across to a large audience. And I really enjoy doing those meetings and the outcomes of them. And many of those people that I spoke to wouldn't necessarily see a financial advisor uh, for reasons, some of which we'll get into later. But, you know, being worried about things like the cost. You know, some of them worked in factories, for instance, and, and perhaps the cost of particularly now of, of, of getting a financial advisor was 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 a lot, or simply not finding the time as many of us you know get ourselves into. We think, right, we should go and see someone about that, but we don't. Um, or or just feeling out their debt, just feeling that money's not me, it's never gonna be me, and I'm I'm not gonna go there. And as, as I'm sure we'll get into those obstacles in a bit, but as as I got more into it, into pensions and employee benefits, I I realized that I would need to be the person convincing employers um, of the value of these services and these sessions. Uh, So that began to pull me more towards doing the employee benefits side than the individual side, because frankly, I realized I've reached more people and probably have a bigger impact but in a smaller way in some ways but that, that I think that small amount of information I was imparting was really making a difference and, and that might then lead them to speak to an individual financial advisor or or now a coach or, or, or something like that too. Wow
0: that's really interesting you just made me think about um, when I um, was sort of thinking about pensions etc and it was actually quite difficult for me to get my head around the whole thing about put money in your pension from your salary now and you will be able to live on it later on. Because when I was growing up, what I learned about pensions was they don't work because I grew up in Zimbabwe. So I saw how like, I didn't put two and two together, about it's the economy, the value of the currency, et cetera, that's causing this thing. In my mind, it was like, if you put your money in a pension, you're never going to see it again (laughs) so uh, and it was actually um I think it was it was actually someone I guess in a role like you were in early on in your career where we had to sit down with someone they explain how the whole pension thing worked where I thought okay maybe I'll try it but the thing that got me into like contribute you know at least opting into a pension was the fact that my employer was putting money in so I was like well if they're putting money in there, then, you know, at least it's it's not my money to begin with. So I I went for several years without contributing. Uh, now I do contribute to my pension because I really understand it. But like you say, I had so many blocks um, to, to overcome before I decided to put my money in a pension. Um, and I'm sure you've got a long list of all of those blocks and uh, objections that people may have.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I, I, and, and, and as I'm sure we'll go into, I think that was, that was where coaching really opened my eyes. But yeah, it, it's, it's amazing. And, and I mean, I, I remember one of my, my favourite stories and, and, and apologies if people have heard this before, but one of the first clients I saw as a junior planner it was this big uh, insurance company in the city. So you're dealing with people who work in financial services who, who, in theory, and I think this is a good lesson to us all, you think, well, they must know loads about money, you know, because they're working in it. Um, and I remember being quite startled about that not being the case. They knew very much, uh, they knew a lot about insurance. They knew very a lot about their specialist subjects, if you like, but they didn't know about personal finance necessarily. They didn't understand that. And, um, we were, we were paid. We, we were, this, one of the great things about the planning firm I worked for was they were already charging fees. Now, back in those days, you could get commission from pension schemes. Um, but my boss at the time, Stuart McRae, was like, no, we charge fees and we won't take the commission from the pension scheme. So we were being paid by the employer to go in and sit down and have a one-to-one with every new employee that came in. And the employer there gave a 10% non-contributory uh contribution so that means that they give you 10% and you don't have to pay anything in so all they had to do was come in and see us we'd go into their office sign the form and we'd help them fill the form out and they'd get this 10% additional salary into a pension scheme and it amazed me I think I would go with around about 10% of them never got round to signing up
0: <laughs> wow <laughs>
1: You know, so I think when people uh, worry, and we all do, and I and I think like it's perfectly fine for us to feel uncomfortable with these things. But I think when people feel like you know, wow, I'll never be like that, you know, knowledgeable about money or, or willing to do these things. Like even the people working in financial services at an insurance company who literally had the forms filled out the forms put in front of them just needed to sign it with a 10 percent contribution they didn't need to do anything yeah even they struggled at times to cross that line and, and and make that commitment so
0: that is so interesting but and thank you for sharing that because i think a lot of people do assume that people in financial services at it you know at all levels in the in financial services know about money and always make the right decisions and and you know, we don't we don't always do, you know, and, and if anyone listening to this who is in financial services and isn't contributing to a pension or taking advantage of employee benefits, I think the message is it it's okay not to know, but the important thing is to speak to someone and take advantage of these things because yeah, your employer, you know, putting 10% in that scenario. Like, why wouldn't you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and, and remember, if they were giving it to you as pay, it would be taxed. Right. So yeah. you're not only is your employer giving you money, the government's giving you money, too. So, exactly. you know, in my book, that's, you know, there are two people I'm quite happy to accept some money back from, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> your employer and the government. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, it's uh, it's it's always nice to say, you know, I'm getting that tax back. Thank you. It's, uh,
0: it's wonderful. Indeed. Yeah. Well, before we go into the depths of what you do in terms of employee benefits and, uh, you know, what we want to talk about which is um, financial well-being could you just share a little bit about the initiative for financial well-being?
1: Yeah absolutely so um, the initiative for financial well-being was set up by a chap called Chris Budd um, who uh, was a financial advisor he ran his own set up and ran his own practice over uh, in Bristol called Ovation Finance and he I think uh uh, now this is testing my knowledge, but let's say five or six years ago, maybe longer, Chris, so apologies if it was before that, um, wrote a book on financial well-being. Um, and he really thought about, I guess, what people would need to feel to, 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 to feel that sense of financial well-being. So he wrote this book, um, and it was a big success. Um, and I think it brought a lot of business towards Chris and, and, and innovation. Um, and then and then I think he began to look around and he realized other people were talking about it. And I think he saw a lot of the things that are happening within our industry at the moment, um, you know, uh, financial advisors becoming financial planners, people that aren't just, you know, people you turn up and go, can you set me up with a pension, but are people who are asking individual's questions and really getting to the nub of what they really want from their money Um, I think he saw that I think he saw the birth of uh, money coaching like like me and you um, and you know what good that was doing getting people to actually start talking about money and talking about their beliefs and things and I think he wanted to set up a group where the people that had those feelings, that wanted to be involved, that wanted to promote those values could come together. So his first move was to do a conference uh, three years ago now, uh, and was the first one where he advertised. He brought a load of speakers in to speak about the subject of financial well-being, Catherine, who coached us. Um, uh, was one of the speakers and we all gathered in Bristol and we we went to this conference and it was great because one of the funniest things were they were people I knew off Twitter off uh, Facebook and LinkedIn people that said yeah you know I think that's a great idea that we're talking about money that we're, we're talking about all the things we probably take for granted now and they all came together and I, I think from that, Chris thought, well, why don't we actually have a group and start really promoting these values and, and promoting these concepts? And about sort of 12 months ago, I think I had a conversation with Chris and, and some of the other uh, directors about workplace well-being, because I, I think it had been very focused on coaches and, and financial advisors. Um, but I think that the workplace, as I've said from my experience, is a really great place to reach lots of people. And there are lots of different people now going into workplaces to talk about financial well-being too. So what I'd like to do, uh, and, and in my role as director really, is bring those people in. Um, so that we can have the same conversations we're having as individual financial advisors and coaches with the people that that work in the workplace and and speak to lots of different people. And we're beginning to get some momentum together. And we're also beginning to help um, other advisors and other coaches who are perhaps interested or been asked to go into the workplace. We're going to help them and I want to help them feel comfortable doing that and be able to talk about the concepts that you know, again, we're we're all very familiar with. Um, so yeah, it's 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 an exciting time. Uh, it's it's uh, really beginning to get going. What we're doing, uh, the workplace side is really just getting going. But I think it's going to be really impactful. During uh, lockdown, um, we've seen, and I've, I I I'm very involved in the HR community. There have been lots of people that have wanted help because. Although thankfully, I, d- I, I hope for most people the worst, the economic consequences haven't hit them, um, or certainly the, our worst fears of what the economic consequences of this uh, pandemic could have been. I think it's still a very unsettling time. The funniest thing about wellbeing is it's how you feel, so it's not entirely quantifiable. It's something that you know will be different from individual to individual. I think and and. The, but the foundation the bedrock of that is just helping make people feel safe and secure and confident that they you know that they know that what they know about money and that's what we're going to try and do
0: I absolutely love that I think it's so needed and again you've taken me back to when I joined financial services and thinking about things like pensions and all the other benefits like share save scheme and all of that and the questions that were going through in my head and Yes, there were a lot of questions, but I guess there was some some emotion attached to that. And there's no way I could articulate that. So I think this idea of speaking to employers, making them aware of some of the reasons that could stop someone from taking up a benefit is really, really important. When I approached you about coming onto the podcast and we were trying to figure out what to talk about, um, you mentioned the whole thing about... Um, working to make employers aware of the impact that money mindset has on the financial well-being of their employees and also the decisions they make around workplace savings. Please tell us more about this.
1: Yeah, well, uh, much of that comes back to when we first met, uh, training training with Catherine Morgan, I think. So, I was always concerned with going into the workplace, and, and this was particularly when I was working for various wealth managers and financial advice firms, having come from that IFA background uh, about what I could say and what I couldn't say in, in, in the workplace. Well, I, 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 to simplify what I mean, basically, how I could avoid being seen to be given advice whilst also actually being helpful and, and providing people with answers.
0: I know that, I know that quandary. It's it's (laughs) it's really difficult, isn't it? I get people try and drag me into the pension conversation and I'm like, no, 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 I can't talk about that. (laughs) It's 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 hard
1: and like and it and it it makes it because you you sort of end up dodging it, it makes people think, well, you're a bit dodgy. Why aren't you committing to a particular position? You know, you're an advisor, advise (laughs) me, right? Um, you know, tell me what to do. And actually, one of the funny things is, I'm going to go off a slight tangent here, but I think one of the funny things is, is, is as an advisor, particularly as I've with experience, and this, you know, I haven't individually advised for a while, but, but even with businesses, sometimes there isn't an 100% correct answer, or the answer isn't, you know, isn't black and white. Sometimes it's a case of making a decision based on the information in front of you and picking what works best for you. Yeah. Um, you know, when we talk, and I mean, one of the big things coming about is, uh, is ESG, is environmental and social governance in, in, in investment funds. And that's becoming a particularly big thing in, in, in workplace pensions. I, I, I've seen a lot of conversation around, well, what will the returns be like? What will the charges be like? Will the charges be higher? Will the returns be more volatile because you're only investing in certain things? Or, you know, uh, should you invest in BP? in your in that funds you know is that okay you know is investing in BP a bad thing but could it be a good thing if by investing in BP you've got like the control sorry other oil firms exist um but, but, you know by investing in like a fossil fuel company could you actually have some active involvement in changing the way it does business and changing the way it works so a lot of conversations going in that And I think one of the big challenges for advice and for um, the profession going forward in delivering it is people might choose an investment or might make a financial decision based on what's important to them. And that might defy what looks logical and rational to people outside of that or, or what the scientific argument or answer might be. And so I do think it's important that if i was really in and of course i do love the environment but if i was really invested in changing the world through the environment i might pick a fund that is more expensive i might pick a fund that doesn't have the same returns and doesn't guarantee you know well like very very few funds if any do guarantee your returns but doesn't necessarily have the same past performance i might pick that just because it just fits in with what i believe and what and and that there's elements of financial well-being in that it makes me happy to invest in this and that's good and it might not be the best investment you know it's 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 like um it's like your favorite pair of shoes or your favorite shirt or whatever it is and it's getting a bit past it right and you know your partner my, my wife's looking at me and going mm, you know maybe it's time to clear it out right but It brings me happiness. And she might be right. You know, shoes might have holes in them, right? Or they might, you know, be be not really as great as they used to be. But that's not what it's about. It's actually about its value to me. And that is something that might not reflect on what someone else might value or what science might tell us is is, is right. So I think that's going to be a big challenge for us going forward is, 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 is finding that balance between... What we value, and what you know is the best course of action, and it's, it's a very difficult thing to get past that, like risk-free, or find a, a risk-free decision. Um, it's unnatural, okay. There, there are very few things in the world we know with one hundred percent certainty, I think, other than death, probably. And you've got to take chances, and we probably don't. And again, part of the the, the stuff we're trying to get into the workshops is understand risk, understand reward, make decisions based on the fact that there isn't necessarily a right or wrong answer.
0: It's, it's the risk of doing nothing is greater mm. than the risk of taking action. And, you know, I think if employers can um, get that across to employees, you know, every now and again, you know, that would make a difference. But it is hard to get over that hurdle of the mindset uh, and all of that because you really don't know people's background. So it's, it's, it's a difficult position. Uh, and it makes me wonder why you've decided to deal with this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, because, look, I, I, I've got so many stories and so many moments in my life where I've realized, you know, I've just seen what a difference an hour of someone talking to someone else can make to, to like their to how they feel to you know how comfortable they feel um you know it's quite a daunting situation when you know e- even now uh with with what we do with workplace pensions where you know you're also enrolled you're automatically put in this and actually as great as auto enrollment has been at getting everyone in to saving pensions, right? And the opt-out rates are miles below what they expected them to be. I think they, they thought one in three people would opt out and it's like less than one in 10, I think, you know, certainly in most with most of the professional firms and things I deal with, it's basically no one um, unless they, you know, they've hit the allowance or something like this and they, 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 they physically can't do it. But what it does is it sticks people on a conveyor belt, right? They're, they're, they're not having to make any decisions and then suddenly they get to 65 or, or even 55, really, because that's when they can access currently uh, the pension pot. And what do I do? You know, I've got access to this whole lump of cash, right? That's yeah. the, that would be my first thought. <laughs> oh, I've got you know, and, and, I, and I've had conversations like this, you know, oh, you know, I could do with a new car, or we really want to build an extension onto the house. Like, these are conversations that are happening in workplaces, in pubs, in, in wherever, right? And it's tempting, right? Yeah. And they don't know, like, you know, me and you know, that. If they just take that as cash, there'll be tax, huge tax implications. They're going to end up with a huge tax bill. You know, they, 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 they'll they be limiting, depending on how they take it, how much they can keep on putting into pensions going forward. There are all these kind of problems they can get into. And we're leaving people. It's, it's almost like being on an elevator. So you're getting on an elevator, right? And instead of getting to the top floor, you're just going, <laughs> there's, there's nothing there, right? You are literally going into freefall. You're going over the edge of a cliff. And we don't give people a parachute, right? I mean, there are lots of reasons why annuities aren't right for everyone. And and we had a system where people were put into those and some people probably didn't get the best of outcomes from that system. But at the moment, there's no parachute there, right? There's no kind of like default position. And, And also, even if we give people that decision, we tell them about the options, right until that point, they've never had to make a choice. Yep. <laughs> they've got this big, they've got like the biggest choice. To make.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it can be so daunting. So then you default to what you know, which is where the whole mindset comes in that, you know, if you don't work on that first, you are more likely than not going to make the wrong decision or a decision that's not, right for you long term it might be right at that moment but then you don't think about the long-term impacts
1: yeah I mean it's 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 uh, you know again I and I, I'm terrible for this and my parents probably hate me but I I often use my parents and I I wonder if they ever listen to these podcasts well this will be a good test so um uh with my parents I always look at it this way you know my My mum probably, if if I was to say from experience of of living with her, she's very positive, she's a big optimist, um, I would say my mum is the sort of person who would take risks, right? Okay, she's quite, you know, she's a fairly adventurous person, She she likes to do stuff, she's very outgoing, big extrovert. Um, and my father, on the other hand, um, is, is also a very pleasant and charming person, but he's an accountant um, or an accountant by background. Um, and he's quite risk adverse because, you know, he's, he's lived in a world where he's, he's usually trying to protect a business and, and make sure it's it's keeping its cash flow and things like this. Um and it's interesting to then think which pension options they took, because my mum, the adventurous one, wants the annuity and my dad, the risk averse one, went and got income, well, flexi-axis drawdown. Right. Um, and if you were to look at that as the FSA um, or uh, the, the FCA, even, yeah, that yeah. shows my age, um, <laughs> the FCA, you, you would you would be like, no, <laughs> that's exactly. totally wrong. right? That's totally <laughs> against <laughs> everything we know. <laughs> um you know, and and but and you drill down and, and you talk to them, and obviously I have about why they make those choices. Mum likes to know that it's all sorted; she doesn't need to think about it again. She's getting that regular income, you know, no more connection with it, right? Whereas my dad wants to get the best out of his money, but it's it's really interesting because. We, Again, on paper, <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure. I'm not sure that would have gone through properly, right? Yeah.
0: Now, coming back to I- employers, especially you know the small and medium-sized employers, mm-hmm. what do you think are the basic things that they should consider having in place to support their employees' um, financial well-being and also to support their employees making um, those financial decisions?
1: Well, this is where I become really unpopular really quickly. Um, and, and I guess I can get away with that because I'm on a podcast and not face-to-face with a real client. Yeah,
0: let's go for it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the most basic thing you can do as an employer to improve your employees' financial well-being that won't cost you anything, hopefully, other than time, is getting your company values right and acting and 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 working through them and actually Doing them rather than just saying them, because at the end of the day financial well-being is a subset of mental well-being it's it's a subset you know because mental well-being is ultimately in its in its larger context how we feel about things Mm. and finances impact that but the mental well-being I think is the umbrella is really the top so good well-being can only be achieved in an environment where employees feel safe and valued So the easiest, the cheapest thing really you can do is make sure you've got some solid company values and you are living them and that your employees believe in them too, because that is the base. And the reason I say this is because years ago, and one of the reasons I got into financial services, and again, this is another great story I love to tell people about, you know, particularly when you feel overwhelmed and you feel like money's not your thing, is I got into financial services in many ways because years ago at university, I got into real trouble with debt. and I really struggled. And it was despite having, um, you know, parents who, who, were, uh, who supported me, despite having a father who was an accountant, so, you know, relatively clued up on money. It was despite me having jobs from the age of 16, right, and actually earning my own money and having money. in, and, and I still managed to get into debt problems. And I went out um, when I was having these debt problems uh, and got a job in a pub to try and work my way out of the problem. And I didn't realize when I started that because we, were paid, we had sort of weekly shifts, that they didn't actually pay until the end of the month. So I'd have to wait a whole month before I got my, my first paycheck. And I spoke to the manager and I, and I told it that I really needed the money to cover my rent. Um, and he arranged for an advance. Uh, and, and I don't think that could have happened um, if I didn't feel comfortable coming to him and having that conversation. Um, And that was because of the culture that he created within that environment. And I think that's not just true of financial well-being. Of course, all of life's problems, which will come at us, whoever we are, everyone has them. Like things come out of the blue. Um, You know, that is that's what's important. So once you have the trust of your employees and they are in that safe place, you'll be seen in a position where you can, you know, Uh, validate this advice you can provide the support right and that they will come they will believe the stuff that you put in place to support them with their financial well-being so culture for me is the is the cheapest and easiest way well with probably a little early pain as you get used to it to get it up and running and once you've done that it's really quite easy okay there are lots of good websites now that provide financial information um, which is what most people want and need Um, I would particularly say the government's money helper website. I know with financial advisors, sometimes it's a bit of a, a bone of contention, but I think it is set up to do exactly the right thing, which is to provide everyday financial information. In plain English, you know, as 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 plain and as clear as it can, um, and it's got tools on it, and it's got information on everything—not just pensions, but mortgages, but all, all the kind of things. There's a there's a budget tool on there. There's all sorts of things on there, and it isn't 100% perfect. But, you know, it is it's on its way and it will build and it will get better. And sometimes the reason it doesn't always make sense is because it is generic. It is it's trying to, to go everywhere. So, yeah, so that's where I'd start. And then beyond that, it's really how much you're willing to invest in it um, and and how you you set and track your goals. No plan is going to work. No initiative is going to work unless you have a clear you know, uh, end plan, you know, what's your objective, and it's clear and it's measurable, all the things we know about planning, um, and, and that you're doing that. And once you're ready to do that, there are people like me who do well-being presentations, um, There, are you know, in communications, there are apps, there are all sorts of things. And then there are advisors and coaches once it gets to that stage of the individual needing to do something for themselves.
0: Yeah, I actually wouldn't have thought that culture would have been the first thing you mentioned or be included at all. But you're so right. You know, after you've broken it down, I can see how, yeah, it is about that building that trust. Um, So your employees know that whatever initiative that comes along or whatever benefits that are added to the suite that you can choose from um, are there for, for your benefit. And they're thinking about your long term well-being. And I guess the other thing is yes, okay, we've got the employers over here trying to support the employees. But do you believe that the employees themselves also have a role to play in their own financial well being? And if that is the case, what are the areas that they should focus on?
1: Yeah, absolutely, they do. Um, in, in the same way, I think they do with their physical and mental well being, their, their social well being, and, and, and other aspects. I, and I think. Also, it's really important for employers to know the limits of their powers and responsibilities when it comes to impacting this. That I, I think employers do need to consider, and sometimes they, um, they find the difficult end of this, employers need to consider, I can only do so much, we can only do so much, we don't know what's going on in people's lives, we don't know what's happened in their past, we don't necessarily know where they're going in the future, and There is a point where employers, and and this comes back to the planning bit, need to be like, right, here's the line. We need to know where the line is. This is what we'll do, but you you have to set limits. Otherwise, you'll get yourself very tangled up in people's personal lives and, 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 and the things that surround that. So as an individual, I think it's important to know that there's plenty of uh, free uh, material, as I mentioned, which is available. It doesn't matter whether you're an employee or not. The the government provides the website, money helper services. Um, There's uh, pensions wise as well, which is part of that service where as you're coming up to getting a um, coming up to retirement, um, you can go and speak to someone. Um, well, probably over the phone at the moment with COVID, but you can speak to someone and, and get your options explained so that you're not going over the top of that, of that escalator and you're ready to make those decisions. And then there are also plenty of good money coaches and fu- independent financial advisors out there to help you too. And I think we live in an age now where there are plenty of reviews, there are plenty of qualifications, uh, so you can see the quality of those people. With the IFW, for instance, we're launching initiative. In fact, I'm, I'm on it at the moment called the certificate um, and the audit process where we will badge people who have done this process and we know, believe in the, the values of financial well-being. But for individuals as well, I think an important thing and, and what we've learned with, with the money coaching is that. There's there's a relatively new area. I mean, it's not so new in America, but fairly new in the UK of money coaching. And I think for many people, that's the place they, they should start, is get to the bottom of what their beliefs and their and their behaviors and their values are, because then you'll know why you want to go on the journey to getting your money sorted and feeling better about it. You'll probably find out it's not about the money. Um, you know, you'll probably find out that many of the things that stopping you aren't necessarily what you think they are. Um, and you'll also realise a lot of the things that you're doing are for different reasons than you thought. Um, and it really, I really, you know, as having been a financial advisor, having been in the workplace, I, I really, I, I would say I would have a money coach, um, you know, quite happily, because I really do think it helps you a lot of the stuff you know inside, but this helps you put all of it together and, and, and helps you see the wood from the trees, which is sometimes a phrase used, and will help you get in a position where you're ready to go, right, I'm ready to have a look at my money, I'm ready to get on top of it, and I know what I want, because um, it's rarely actually more money, it's, it's, which is what most people think. It's, it's, it's usually things like more time. It's usually things that we actually value more than we realise.
0: Yeah, I think you've, you've made such really good points there and, um, you know, highlighting the things that individuals, you know, have the responsibility to do. I know after going through the financial coaching course and also coaching individuals that, yeah, it is never about the money. It's always something
1: else. <laughs> one of the craziest things, right, is because is we, we, there's now, you know, and it's a good thing, there's now lots of research done in the workplace on financial well-being by banks, by wealth managers, by all sorts of people. Um, but one of, the, one of the most interesting pieces, I think, was salary finance. I, I, I can't remember. They, they, they do sort of loans and things. Um, but they, one of the, the research, one of the pieces of research they did was looking at the financial well-being of people, and I think what they found was as people got towards from about 20,000 pounds a year of earnings up to about 60,000 pounds a year, people's financial well-being or their sense of well-being, as reported, um, improved and, and got better and better. But at 60,000 pounds a year, it suddenly fell off, right? <laughs> There's suddenly a big dip. What? And, and that's fascinating. I'm sure there'll be much more research into this. But what's really interesting is is a lot of the higher earners, and we talk to employers about this a lot, are actually the people that have some of the worst financial well-being. And and we can theorise around it. Some of it I, I know from my time as a, as a as an individual advisor is because they've over leveraged. You know they they they're, they're they're trying to spend more than they than they earn, even at that level, because. You, you can become a bit of keeping up with the Joneses, and you can you can you know really, and then it becomes very stressful to keep that whole thing up, right? But you're in also in this very sort of stressful job probably as well, where you're making big decisions that will have impacts for your business and, and for the employees. So, yeah, financial well-being is definitely the secret to it. Is definitely not just more money. <laughs> in yeah, most no, cases it's true. probably not more money. At all.
0: exactly. <laughs> and actually, it's it's interesting you mentioned that about high earners because things like stress are what trigger some of the bad decisions that we make with money or even just trigger something that causes us to either spend money, give money away. And once it's done, we're thinking, why did I even do that? And then the regret comes in and there's this this vicious cycle. Now, one thing that um, I get asked a lot about from people who've worked in various places is I've got all these pension parts have you know, I've worked for so many years, all these pension parts. I'm now working for this company. What should I do with the other pension, uh, the other pension parts? And I know you can transfer pensions. You can like amalgamate your pensions. Now, could you just share like what the steps are um, to for employees to that they need to take to enable them to amalgamate pensions? And Is it even a good idea to do that? (laughs)
1: Well, I've got to be very careful with the answer to that last question. (laughs) Oh, yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, keep it it very generic. I mean, what can they, what can and can't be done?
1: (laughs) So, this is, and I'll let you into a a little secret this is over the last decade, every time I've been in the workplace, this question is always asked. This is the number one question that we get asked. Um, And Uh, The reality is now, the first thing is I'll I'll do a dodge, I'll do a swerve and say most workplace pension providers now have dedicated teams to help you consolidate your pension plans. And provided the arrangements you have aren't too complex, they can help you do so. So most workplace providers will have that facility. And I would suggest that that's a good place to start. But before you do that... (laughs) The reality is, is, is that pensions um, have lots of unique things towards them. Thankfully, with workplace pensions, they simplified them. Um, so pretty much in most cases, it's, it's just what the charges are, what the annual charges are. There's a thing called the annual management charge. There may be other charges as well that um, are, are levied on your pension. But that's, that can be a good place to start as a, a point of reference for which one's charging me more, which one's charging me less. And perhaps you can use that to decide whether or not you want to move. But some pensions, um, particularly older pensions that predate um, auto-enrolment 2012, may have um, guarantees. So they may come with additional benefits that are really good, um, or or at least at the time were perceived as being really good. Or they may also have penalties. They might actually charge you or or penalise you for taking the money out of that pension pot. So it's really important that before you think you know, you actually action any kind of consolidation, maybe even before you go to an advisor, why not ring the providers up and find out what the charges are? Are there any guarantees? Are there any penalties? You know, what will happen if I move this pension? Um, Also, I'm sure you probably should check what access you have to investment funds, all that kind of thing. And once you've kind got that information, you should be able to make a relatively, sensible judgment about what is the best route for you. And you may find, and this has happened to me, um, particularly if you've worked with large employers, um, you may find that a previous employer pension pot might actually be better than the one you're in at the moment. And that might be a reason, for instance, that you decide it's not a good idea to move. And finally, and this is the really important one, there are old pensions called DB pensions, final salary pensions, average career earnings pensions, Um, that basically give you a guaranteed uh, salary or pension in retirement. Um, And those, I would not move without speaking to a financial advisor. In most cases, they will be telling you anyway to speak to a financial advisor. They should be by law telling you to speak to a financial advisor if there's more than 30 uh, grand in there. Um, But I would always make sure, even if there's less, that you do get some professional advice from an independent financial advisor. And in most cases, with the way the regulation is, I'm going to also let out a little secret. You're probably going to be told not to move it because the regulator generally and the general consensus at the moment is, is that you're better off leaving it there. Um, I'm not saying that you are, but that's the general view that the regulator tends to come back with, is that why would you give up a guaranteed income? from someone for putting money into an investment, which is what the workplace pensions are, um, where you then have to battle with the market and make choices about how you're going to get your income that isn't guaranteed (laughs) necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Shortest answer. (laughs) Well, still being compliant. But if I made a mistake, please let me know.
0: (laughs) No, it's it's uh, for me. I was just saying to myself, tick, 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 because some of the some of what you said is what I say to people, uh, because I can't advise on pensions anyway. And even if I could, I think the, the right thing to do is know and understand what you have. You know, saying you've worked for five employers and you think that there might be pensions doesn't mean, you know, that you actually do have those pensions, that you have the problem, first of all. So understand what the problem is and understand which ones are, you know, like you say, your old pension might be better than your current one. And then it's easier to make a decision. But I think a lot of people, because some of these pensions were put in when they were younger they didn't really engage with the pension. So it's just now paperwork that's coming through the door. They don't understand the language. It's just a conf- so much confusion around it that they, they just bury it or just pile the stuff in the corner. And well, then yeah. one day they sort of think, you know, maybe I should get my house in an order. And they, they don't know where to start. But I think you've really given some really good steps that people should think about and, and take.
1: Hopefully. I mean, I think I think it's really um, it is worth looking at your pensions, not necessarily consolidating them, but getting to know them, as you say, because particularly so the pre-2012 pre-auto enrolment, there are some pensions with some eye-watering charges on. Um, And you could be in a position if you're not putting money into them where those charges and the investments that they're in. They're actually like you're losing money in them. So it is really important to look at that. And and my horrible joke that I always reel out in workplace presentations is pensions are very rarely, if ever, frozen. Frozen is a Disney movie. It's not anything really to do with pensions. But there is something in people's mindsets. I think, again, linking back to those old style pensions where they think that, you know, that pension value when they left that business is going to stay the same it will almost certainly in most cases be an investment and be going up and down with the markets. And if the charges are high and the investment isn't very good, you could actually, you know, in theory, you could see a lot of that pension disappear. So it is important. And my final, sorry, I'm quite excited about this. But um, uh, my final point on it would be, Um, most of us have probably lost touch, let's say, with what our old pensions were with our old employers. I've done it. You know, lots of people do it. Again, no shame here, no judgment on it. The government has really stepped up in the last year or two, the Pensions Tracing Service, which is a government-run body. um, Make sure it is the government one. There are, if you Google it, sometimes some rather dodgy suspects who will charge you for it. Make sure you've got the pensions tracing service for the government and they can help you as long as you've got your national insurance number and your date of birth. And hopefully your address from the time is is, is generally useful. They will help you find your old pension. um, And that's a really important service to, to take advantage of.
0: Yeah, that's a really good one. I've sent people um, onto that uh, website. You know, that point you made about charges, most of the time, if you find that you've got an old pension and it's being charged, you know, it, it's be, it's be, high charges are, are being applied. It's because you haven't been in contact, so they can't make any changes, you know, but once you speak to them, you might find that, you know, that it can be you know, the charge could be reduced or something, or it's put into a different bucket. There's all these things, but because you haven't contacted them, they've got no one to speak to about it and they can't just make a switch in in most cases without speaking to the owner of of the money. So it's really important to engage with the, the pension providers. And I always, one thing I always say to people is, you know, there are people waiting for you to call, people who are actually paid, To answer your call. (laughs) So, and whatever charges your pension is paying, it's for that service. So, you know, call them and talk to the people.
1: We need to keep them in employment, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) Otherwise, they'll lose their jobs. Yeah,
1: and and make them work for the money they're taking from your pensions. Indeed, exactly. Exactly.
0: I mean, I've got a lot of clients who make me work (laughs) for the fees that they're paying. (laughs) Oh, Charlie, thank you so much. I mean, I knew this was going to be a good conversation. I just didn't know how good. Um, And yeah, I'm going to be listening back with a pen and paper and making notes for myself. And I'm sure a lot of people who've listened uh, will be doing the same. Um, As you know, I believe that to create true wealth, we must all be clear on what wealth means to us in each area of our life. So in a few words, could you please share with us what wealth means to you in the following areas, physical, mental, spiritual, social, and financial well-being?
1: Wow. Okay. So I think for physical well-being, I think it's, it's knowing that I'm taking care of myself Um, and it's a hard thing to do because I don't think I'm, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to be perfect in these things. And I think accepting that I'm not going to be perfectly physically fit, but knowing that, you know, every, every, uh, every day, pretty much that I do something that I am active and that I, you know, I respect my body, I think is, is important. Um, although it's hard because I do love food and drink, um, (laughs) uh, in terms of mental wellbeing, as I've said, I, I honestly I, I think this is the the kind of capsule, um, but it is important, again, in the way that we go to perhaps a, a personal trainer for our, our physical well-being or a class um, or we go to a money coach to talk about our finances um, or the spiritual we go to, we, we you know, we go to perhaps a religious leader or, or someone like that. I, I think it's important that we're, we also think about this in the mental context, too. Um, I've, um, I've used a therapist, I think, for about five or six years. And again, a bit like with the money coaching, I wonder why I didn't in the first place. Um, you know, I wonder why it took me so long. Um, and it's not that there's always something that was it was crisis that brought me there but i would say that it is nice sometimes just to be able to offload to someone and 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 be able to speak to someone about it knowing that you know they're totally kind of ambivalent towards what who you are and things they just they're just there to listen and, and help you gather your thoughts Spiritual well-being, you know, I, I think uh, I, I like to believe that there's something out there. I like to believe that life isn't just dictated by science. I, I You know, I believe in science, but at the same time, I think it's for me, it's taking moments to think about life and, and to think about our place in, in the world and the universe, I think is important. And, uh, you know, I, I like to believe that that sometimes good things happen just because and maybe not overthink them social well-being um really important to me i have to say lockdown's been really difficult um, i'm i'm absolutely uh health anxious so getting out has been difficult for me um but i have pushed myself to go out um and and taken on that risk accepted it because it isn't just COVID; lots of things could, could, could get you anytime. but i really noticed how different my energy feels when i'm around other people and and particularly physically in their presence it's, it's a totally different thing and financial well-being finally um, it, it's a journey right and like I might sound like I've got lots of answers which I do but there are lots more questions and I think um, I'm on a journey still. <laughs> I am not perfect at uh, you know um, managing myself I have to remind myself about my issues with debt from time to time. I have to but I also have to remember not to judge myself. A lot of the reasons I'm in debt were actually because I enjoyed spending. Um, and I enjoy I got a lot of well-being out of spending money on other people and on other things. And the important thing for me there was realizing that spending was OK. And, you know, it's just making sure we manage these things. So one of the big things about financial well-being is just know that there isn't a judgment. You know, we're not there to judge. And actually, there's value in, in, in all of these behaviors. Um, you've just got to find it and make sure you control it
0: all of that was was amazing and it's interesting i or when i do presentations i always end with a slide that says it's a journey because it is all of this is a journey and we're all learning along the way so thank you so much um charlie now how can anyone um listening to this podcast get in touch with you if they um want to explore um working with your firm or stuff that's coming through the pipeline with the initiative of financial well-being.
1: Yeah. Okay. So um, the firm's got a website. It's uh, ebc-llp.com. But because that's quite difficult, if you uh, Google employee benefits collective, you'll find us uh, as, as far as how to get in touch with me, LinkedIn's probably the best. Um, I'm quite happy to accept connection requests, I'm hoping it hasn't changed me to just follow. Um, as long as, you know, there are people who you really want to reach out, uh, that's absolutely fine. I'm quite, I think that's probably the easiest way to get hold of me. As long as you're not trying to sell me, you know, something, I, I'm, I'm generally quite happy to speak to you um, and respond. And then with the initiative for financial wellbeing, well, again, I would ideally Google, because I can't remember off the, I think it might be ifw.org.uk. I feel embarrassed now, I can't, but I would just Google initiative for financial wellbeing. And we will come up. Uh, there's a there's a big website there. Um, we invite people, we do regular meetings. I run a London meeting with Hiran, another one of uh, uh, the coaches that that you'll know. Um, uh, But we also run uh, sort of wellbeing cafes, which are lunch and learns, where we invite people, not just from financial wellbeing backgrounds, but other wellbeing backgrounds to talk about wellbeing. Um, And we have a number of meetings. You'll find all the details on the website. And if you're not a member, you can come along for a, a meeting just to get a taste of, of, of what it is. And I'm, I'm also absolutely happy if you want to have a chat on either of
0: these things to so schedule in a call. Thank you. I think I'll be coming to one of those IFW meetups. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, yeah, think I, I think you should. I, you will see me there. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much, Charlie, for um coming on to the wealth conversation podcast it's as i said earlier there's there's just so much information that you've given us so i really really appreciate it um and i I can't wait to see what you're going to be doing in terms of going into more workplaces supporting employers and employees and also through the initiative of uh, financial well-being
1: good no i've had a really good time thank you very much for inviting me
0: thank you for listening to this week's episode Connect with me at The Wealth Conversation on Facebook and Instagram so we can continue the discussion. Also, if you're ready to define what wealth truly means to you, then go to thewealthconversation.com and download the Wealth Cornerstones Guide. Until next week, stay focused on becoming the designer of your financial future.